Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. I am very delighted to have Dr. Beatrix Start as my guest on the podcast show today. Beatrix served for seven years as the Associate Dean Executive Degree Programs at the Rodman School of Management at the University of Toronto. As Professor of Strategy at Rodman, Beatrix teaches management consulting and strategy. She joined the Rodman School of Management in 2000 following a successful career with McKinsey & Co. In the public realm, she served on advisory committees for ministries, co-chaired Canada's first women-only trade mission to Japan, and is on the advisory board for UN Women in Canada. Since 2008, Beatrix is the executive director at Rodman's Initiative for Women in Business, focusing on advancing women in management. She has won many awards for her work, among them the WXN Canada's Most Powerful Women Top 100 Award in 2016. Further accomplishments include being a founding member and country lead of the 30% Club Canada, working with over 180 CEOs and board chairs as members, supporting the campaign to advance women on boards and senior management roles. She also co-chairs the Canadian Gender and Good Governance Alliance, which she initiated in 2017. Additionally, she serves as a corporate director at Alliston, one of Canada's largest construction companies and on a number of non-profit boards. I am so excited to have you today as my guest on the show, Beatrix. It's my pleasure, Karen. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's fantastic to uh, join you today. And for everybody listening to us today, could you tell um, our guests, um, our listeners, where, the, where you're calling from and maybe a special food or a special site in your area? Absolutely, my pleasure. So I am living in Toronto in Ontario, Canada, and uh, of course, situated on the lake of Ontario. Toronto, I think for most people is one of the few Canadian places most would know with probably Vancouver. Um, and I would suggest if anyone ever comes to visit Toronto, what they need to do is go into our ravine network. We have fantastic hiking trails and walking trails that are in the midst of the city in the woods and you can go on one of those ravine trails and end up at the lovely place called Brickworks. It's a repurposed former actually brick factory and they converted it into a restaurant, a farmer's market and a great hangout area uh, where you can hike, walk around ponds, bring your kids, have a good time, particularly in lovely summer and fall weather. That would be my one thing I would recommend in Toronto. Thank you so much. I haven't been to Toronto besides being at the airport so that definitely sounds something I would like to try myself. <laughs> So um, now you spend your early career as a management consultant at McKinsey. And I read that when you had your daughter and you were considering your career options, you were asked to do an internal project on how um, they could retain some of the consultants given the work-life balance, especially as a consultant. And so I be curious to know what did you learn from um, that internal project? 
Well, you did very good research, Karin, I have to say. So indeed, uh, I worked six years as a management consultant at McKinsey, and it was a fantastic time, um, a great learning opportunity, uh, really intellectually stimulating. Uh, the challenge, of course, is once you um, work in a professional service environment, such as consulting, and you know there are some other professional services environment, like lawyers, for example, or anyone involved in merchant acquisition work. Um, professional services requires you to commit um, and you commit to your client and you commit 120% usually. Um, so the challenge uh, once you uh, become pregnant and you have a family life ahead of you is how do you make this commitment work? How do you uh, structure such a time that you can be you know, a parent However, also continue on as a uh, consultant. So the uh, as my belly got bigger and as I got more and more pregnant, uh, there was also a cutoff at some point where you just couldn't fly anymore to visit clients. So I was put on this internal project um, as McKinsey at that point, and this is now quite a while ago, was quite interested in how to retain their female consultants uh, because in many professional services, women will leave once they um, become a parent, become a mother, and they are uh, challenge to combine this sort of time-consuming professional work with, well, equally time-consuming private life. And so they put me on this project asking about, okay, what would it take? What would we need to do uh, to make this a success? Which, you know, back then was already very forward-thinking, so I give full credit to McKinsey here. Um, the um, outcome from the project was that it will be actually quite uh, individual, what women would want. And this sounds like, well, not a typical consulting answer, but it is the, you know, very personalized approach and to allow women to uh, combine elements that make sense for them. So in my case, I was uh, not interested to be a stay-at-home mom for very long. I took four months and mm -hmm. then came back to consulting. And in my case, uh, McKinsey actually supported um, that I went to one of the client visits with child and nanny to try that out. So to have childcare wow. coming with me to see whether that would make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and it certainly made a difference. However, as I mentioned, if you work in professional services and you're trying to give you 120%, if you know your child and nanny is waiting in the hotel room, you yeah. do what you need to do, but you don't go the extra mile. You don't want to do the client dinner at the end of the day. Uh, you mm -hmm. want to be back in the hotel room. So although it was you know, a worthwhile trial and a nice idea to try out and very generous, very generous by McKinsey to do so, in the end, nobody got what they deserved, right? I felt I shortchanged the client um, by not putting the extra time in. I also felt that my daughter, um, by the time she was one, she had 45,000 air miles under her belt, was probably traveling too much. And um, it just didn't quite work out, to be honest. So the lesson learned is that you need to be in the right, you have to be careful and need to pick almost the right work environment. And so professional services, as I mentioned, you need to be willing to fully commit if that is where your career and your heart sits. If you can't do that, maybe it's not the right work environment. I think uh, being careful about or, or being choosy, like being being selective where you work and in what kind of environment would allow you to have a much better work-life integration. I actually don't call it balance because really it's an integration. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it worked uh, out to go into the academic world. For me, that was the place where I had more control. Um, academia allows you to uh, structure your days and your weeks and months and, and with much more control than professional services. I would say the other takeaway on a more personal level is you also need to have the right partner to support you. If you're ambitious, and I hope everyone who's listening has some ambition, um, if you're ambitious, go for it. You don't, don't feel uh, society is telling you you have to step back and have to do all the compromises because you decide to also be a parent. 
go for your ambition, live it, but you need to have the right partner in place. Um, you, you need to have also the right environment in place. And that is, for example, being in the right industry or being in the right work environment where it is possible to maybe um, give a little less than 120%. <laughs> That, it, it sounds really, really interesting. I don't know if you know, but Patagonia, I read they also, you know, have the, the nanny traveling with the child. So that, that was very interesting to hear. And um, now um, with academia, um, so you, I, I was curious, so you, grew, um, you were working in Europe and then you, ended up in Toronto? Ah, okay. So I will give you a bit more context than the background. So my, my university um, education took place in Europe. I actually mm -hmm. went to the University of Constance. Uh -huh. um, beautiful place, highly recommend that. Uh, and then I joined McKinsey in the Swiss office in Zurich in Switzerland. Uh -huh. And um, as with all these global consulting firms, you travel quite frequently. And I actually got transferred to the Toronto office for a particular project um, where I met my future husband, um, also an ex-McKinsey person. So I ended up in, in Toronto where I met my, my husband. Um, but then we decided to live in the UK, actually in London. And again, lovely if you work for a global firm, you know, you can request a transfer. So our daughter was actually born uh, in the UK, in London. Um, and we moved on from there. Um, I then moved back to Toronto. My husband at that point got a job opportunity outside of McKinsey in Toronto. And I was also then looking to make a career change into the academic life, um, which brought me back um, to, to the Toronto environment as well. And I joined the University of Toronto as a professor. Thank you so much. And now, could you tell our listeners more about the Rotman Initiative for women in business that you built at this university. So I probably was driven a bit by the experience I had at McKinsey. So being able to look into what does it take uh, to help women fulfill what their needs are. And in many cases, it is parenthood and career made me also probably more aware and open-minded of the situation that we encountered at the business school. And so in 2000, um, there were very few em emphasis, um, there was very little emphasis paid towards getting more women into business schools. And we had a very low enrollment number in terms of female MBA students. And I was kind of surprised by that coming from McKinsey, I thought, wow, you know, why wouldn't there be more women interested in taking a business degree? Um, there are 50% of the students in law degrees are female and over 50% of uh, students who were enrolled in medical degrees are female. What is it about business that prevents people in this kind of professional education um, to come to an MBA? Why aren't more women interested? So that kind of started to trigger my curiosity. And um, as I was going through some of the research that was available and doing more research on the topic myself, uh, it actually became quite apparent that there were a lot of obstacles, um, some perceived and some were real, that were put in front of women. And that sort of got me going and got me really interested. And so in 2008, at the Rotman School, um, I proposed that we would establish the Initiative for Women in Business. Um, and the idea was to promote and support women's career advancement, but also to help the enrollment of female students in MBA programs. And we had a small uh, program already uh, in place. It was called the Judy Project. It was created by a consortium of company leaders um, to honor the late Judy Elder, she passed away and they wanted to do something in her honor. And so it was a program, a small program to help women um, who are already in, in 
very high stages of their careers and, and, and are thinking about whether to take on positions in the C-suite. Um, this program was sort of helping them grasp all the various issues around it and it was a, it was and still is a terrific program but that uh, Judy project program was the only one we had and so the idea was well couldn't we create more support for women in various stages of the career path mm -hmm. and we heard from these women who came to the Judy project they were as I said three to five years out from being in a c-suite position so we heard from these women they said well boy if I only would have known Back then, what I learned now, if only somebody would have told me that maybe I shouldn't take such a long career break when I have children, or maybe I should have become more financially literate um, when I got together with my partner, or maybe I should have thought more about my own legacy instead of putting everybody else first. If only somebody would have told me that back when. So that was sort of a bit the, the starting point to think about, well, why don't we? Why don't we have these kinds of sessions for women in various stages of their career? And so since then, we created this initiative for women in business at the Rotman School and at the University of Toronto to help women in, in various stages. If you think about it like, like a talent pipeline, you know, there's sort of this image that it's a leaky pipeline, like women mm -hmm. drop out, and that's why we don't have that many women in the top positions. So if you believe in that kind of you know, visual, visual um, metaphor that there is a pipeline, this initiative is to strengthen this pipeline, to help women in various stages of careers to be uh, more aware of what the choices are to make better decisions, but also to develop their own leadership skills. If you think about it, when you come out of university and you get your first job and maybe after three to four years, you, you become a manager, right? And you're wondering, what does that look like? How do I, how do I become a manager? Like what kind of things are expected from me? And how do I combine this career with maybe having a family? And then you move up and then at some point you become a director or a vice president and you think, wow, now I'm a leader. How does that look like? What kind of leadership style as a woman should I develop? It still has to be authentically me, but I'm working with all these men around me and how do I position myself? What kind of leadership uh, challenges do I have to expect? And then as you go further up, it becomes even more political and, you know, your personal brand matters and your reputation and the, the ability to, you know, take on some fights, but maybe step away from others. All of that matters in different stages to women's lives and careers. And this is what the initiative um, at the Rotman School does. We, we literally help support women in very practical ways to develop these skills we give best practice networks so women can network among each other and, and talk to each other and learn from each other. Um, we work with companies and corporations so that they can adjust what they are offering because many have still biases in place and have structures in place that are not that welcoming to women. So the initiative is really, you know, coming from all angles like we are sharing expert points of views with companies but also in briefings and conferences we do research around it but we also work directly with the women in professional workshops and development programs um, and i would say these days in canada for sure there is so much additional pressure on on corporate canada um, and i think that's true in the us and europe has in, implemented a few more quota systems in various places mm -hmm. but there's so much more pressure and, and recognition that well if 50 percent of the population is female shouldn't we have better representation? Right. Like if we can't solve that problem for the largest chunk of the population for 50%, how do we solve the problem for other sort of smaller minority groups? Like if we can't solve it for the 50% group, right. how are we possibly hoping to solve it for any of the other marginalized groups, right? So, so that is where we come from with the Initiative for Women in Business. And now, as you were talking about um, uh, the talent pool and um, um, the leaky um, pipeline, now 
one of the programs you're offering is the Back to Work digital program. Could you tell our listeners a bit more about that? Absolutely. So for us, you know, supporting women in their careers extends to all parts of the career. And many women at some point decide to step out. Often it's because of childcare, but not always. Sometimes it can be elderly care or it can be moving with a spouse or you know, life throws you a curveball. There can be all kinds of reasons that happen and where you weren't um, thinking that it might come to it, right? So uh, women will step out certainly in much, much larger numbers than men from a career. Mm-hmm. And often women have had, you know, great expectation to be ready to step back in when they feel ready. Uh, In many cases, they will have had perhaps a university or a college degree. Um, They have had work experience. But when they try to re-enter the workforce after, let's say, four, six, eight, in some cases, 10 or 12 years away from the workforce, it is really challenging. And it Mm -hmm. is more challenging than anybody assumes. And I think there are two elements to that. One is the confidence level has eroded. (laughs) You just don't believe in yourself as much anymore. And you wonder, who would want to hire me and why? What is it that I actually still have to offer to the workplace? And, you know, who will take a chance at me? And you also might feel maybe a bit guilty depending on your family situation. Well, now my kids will have to make their own lunches or they might not have mom at home when they come back from school or I won't be as supportive to my family for various reasons or I might not be able to do the elderly care as well as I could. There might be various personal circumstances as well that erode your, your confidence level and your, your ability to find a new job. The other aspect is more practical. It's the, you know, how do I even prepare for a job interview these days? Um, I don't know what to ask for. And how do I find a job? Like uh, my professional network has completely lapsed. I might have great friends who I might meet for coffee or tea or a glass of wine, but I don't have that professional network anymore as I used to. How do I even go about starting all that up? So that's where the back to work program comes in. So it's really, it's a highly specialized learning program for women who who are returning to the labor market after an extended period of absence. So, and it's practical stuff we're talking about. So we are talking about practical insights on hiring practices or what, what leadership is currently looking like or how digital marketing works, but um, also trying to increase the confidence and the resiliency so we bring in experts, um, we have senior executives, but you know, most importantly, we also have lots of partnerships with companies. Because in the end, you, know, you need to have a company who says, wow, I want to hire this woman. That is amazing. I can't wait to bring her in, into our workforce, right? So, and it's, it's interesting because quite frankly, there is now a gap. In, in certainly in corporate Canada, and I don't know as much currently in, in Europe and with COVID, everything has moved a bit, but there's currently, there certainly is a gap to bring these two groups together, the industry and the talent. Like there's a war for talent. Everybody wants the talented people and they want talent from diverse backgrounds. Yes, I want to find women in technology. How do I find them? So we can bring that together. We, we can bring these amazing women who have been um, sort of, I call them polished up a bit through the program, who have gained their confidence again, who know how to negotiate for their job, who know what they want, who can bring forward their best self. We can bring those to the table. And that's what makes this program so exciting. So I've been um, offering it now since 2010. for example, our last cohort from last year, you know, over 70% of the participants are currently employed um, after this program, right? So it has great success stories behind it. And we are lucky. We have wonderful corporate partners who are willing to work with us. Um, and I think after all these years, we've put together a program that responds to both sides, to the emotional need to build up the confidence and reduce the guilt factor, but also to the practical side to get you as ready and as polished up for a job as we possibly can. That sounds like such an 
amazing program, both for the women to participate and then also for the hiring managers to have this often invisible talent to um, you know find out about them and so so how does that then work so you were saying you there's a lot of collaboration with um, companies is there like an internship or, or how do the women on your program then um, meet um, afterwards with or, or you know or apply to um, jobs right a good question Karen thank you so we actually start um, making these networks and these meetings uh, happen from the almost the very first week of the program. Mm -hmm. So we bring in company representatives early on mm -hmm. and we have the very first networking session. I think usually it's on day three of the program. Very scary. Wow. Uh, most women are like, oh my God, what do I say? You know, so, yeah. so we are giving them a first kind of networking skill session to make sure they are ready. We even give them little business cards so that they have something to hand out. And it is a bit like speed networking where we help to moderate and facilitate. So it's like, it's like learning to ride a bike again, but you have your still your three wheelies on, you know, um, they, mm -hmm. we, we, we provide that kind of support for the first networking session to make sure women can safely encounter that, but also learn, wow, oh yeah, this is like a muscle I haven't trained, um, but now I can get back into the swing of things. So the companies are um, included in, in parts of the program early on, not only with mm -hmm. networking session, we also invite company representatives to come in for panel discussions. We'll ask about you know, how the uh, employment landscape currently looks like in their company, like what are sought after jobs, like what are the, their gaps they are trying to fill. Um, and the representatives often HR people are quite happy to answer a variety of questions because let's be honest, when you have been out of the workforce, some of your, best, your questions might be even a bit basic, but they are the burning questions, right? It's like, okay, how much flexibility can I expect? Um, if my child is sick and I need to rush home, like, can I do that? Can I, you know, how many days of vacation do I get? How do I handle my summers when my kid might, might be off school? And um, how much flexibility is there in working from at home, for example? Or um, questions just about is, can I expect the same kind of salary as before I stepped out? Like, can I expect that I can make that much money again? Or how, how low do I have to start and work my way up? Like, it's, it's these questions you don't want to ask in an actual job interview, mm -hmm. but you can ask them in the program. And mm -hmm. people will willingly answer that, right? Because that's important. And this is what matters um, to anyone who's returning back to work to be able to get true answers and real answers so they know where, where they stand. Um, so the companies uh, we partner with also uh, allow our participants to do what we call little projects or tiny consulting projects. Mm -hmm. I don't want to overblow them. It's usually something a company is truly struggling with or has a question. And we put uh, a team of women against these questions. For example, how could we as a company uh, increase the attractiveness for disabled people to join us? Um, you know, is, is, there, is there something we should be doing differently? That could be a project question. And mm -hmm. so a group of women who is interested on that can choose that project. Usually there are a number of projects to choose from and can work on it. And then they have to dress up and give a professional presentation back to the company representatives and usually on the company site. So they go to a board meeting room um, and they give their presentation about their research and their findings. Um, and that has been such a confidence booster. Doing that again after many years of being out of the workforce, being able to come with an expert view on a topic you researched and to mm -hmm. give a presentation, to stand there and to hopefully look polished despite your nerves maybe uh, being there in the background. That has been a huge confidence booster. So the companies are involved with these projects as well. They come in to give um, 
tips or they do uh, little uh, events at their companies where they invite the women to come and learn more about the companies as well. So they will do networking events on their sites. So we involve them fairly closely. So if women get to uh, know the companies, they also understand more about the culture, um, what the opportunities at those companies are, and that gives them a starting point. Nobody has to work for any of those companies. They are mm -hmm. free to apply wherever they like and wherever they want, but it gives them a professional opportunity to uh, see what is there and to, to have the right confidence level. And if they want to interview with one of the companies, some do it for practice, just so they get their first job interview done. Some mm -hmm. like it and actually really want to work there. Fantastic. So often it, matches happen between those groups of supporters, but it doesn't have to be. Many go out and do completely different work um, than our company sponsors um, provide. I, I, I love the idea of, you know, doing the research project and then presenting, because I think what happens often that women who have been outside of the paid workforce for a long time, often I think underestimate all the soft skills, leadership skills, they have really learned during that unpaid care work. And so for them to be able to utilize them and, you know, realize that even though it might have been 5, 10, 15 years, they get back into the game and present. So I think that's just awesome that um, that program provides that opportunity. Yeah, and as you rightly point out, Karen, you know, there are a lot of transferable soft skills yeah. these women develop. And, and you almost have to point it out to them because they said, nah, I was just at home. No, 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 you weren't just at home. You have developed leadership skills. You have developed time management skills. You have developed organizational skills. In Canada, it is uh, very common for uh, women, to, in particular stay-at-home moms, to, to volunteer at, at something exactly. and to volunteer at their kids' schools or to take on various volunteer roles in the, in the large volunteer not-for-profit sector, which also allows them to develop excellent skills. So it's a question of teasing those skills out and repackaging them and making them part of your personal branding. So when you go for a job interview, you can say, yes, although I was stay at home, here's all the stuff I developed. Here are all my skills that I, that I have honed. And here are all the experiences that I have created. I might've become an event manager because, you know, at my kid's school, I was the one who always put on the, I don't know, annual event for the school. There are so many skills that you can bring out um, and we have fantastic experts in the program that help you package them in your resume and also in, in your job interviews so that you know to talk openly and confidently about it. That sounds really amazing. And now in my research, besides your program, the only other similar program at the university I have found in India, but so far nowhere else, you might no more but i'm just curious why do you think there are so few of these programs because clearly there are many very skilled women sometimes also stay-at-home dads who would like to return back at a level that really allows them to fulfill their potential very interesting that you say that. Um, so first of all, I, I have to give credit um, to a US business school. So about, um, I would say more than 10 years ago, when I have been uh, looking around what, what other business schools do in terms of advancing women, first mm -hmm. of all, I was surprised how little there was. Like we are still in Canada, even we are still the only business school with such an initiative for women in business and this kind of portfolio of programs. There's no other mm -hmm. business school that is offering that. And so I started to look in the US and I found actually a business school in the US that had this kind of returnship program or back to work program. The mm -hmm. only one I found. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, this is great. Why don't we have this in Canada? This is this is what's needed. Like we need to have these kinds of support programs to get women back into the workforce for those who want to, right? So, uh, you know, 
good ideas are not always invented, but they are borrowed from others. And so mm -hmm. this was one of these great ideas that we borrowed from this US business school. It's Dartmouth Tech, by the way, um, mm -hmm. who had this program way, way, way back then. So we launched it in Canada and uh, to a huge success, as I said, most of our women indeed um, have fantastic employment. The, um, there have been one or two places that have tried something similar and uh, haven't been as successful because you really have to create what I would call a whole support network around it. Like it's not just delivering a content piece. It is the support of the companies. It's the support of, for example, we have a partner, Kids and Company, that also provide childcare support for anybody mm -hmm. who needs it while taking this program. Like it's a whole network you have to think through that comes together to make this program successful. And now the alumni, of course, of this program who are employed at other companies and who love this program and are grateful and you know for the opportunity this program provided they are now our best advocates right they are mm -hmm. saying oh we have some openings in our company send them to me I, I gotta talk to them right so that's that's the network that takes time to build and that's mm -hmm. that's a challenge to replicate quickly um, but yes I, I wish there would be more um, I think it you know, particularly now in the COVID times where so many women have been the ones that are the hardest hit who have mm -hmm. lost their jobs and they are now struggling with how do you even, how do you go back, right? I mean, women have been not only disproportionately hurt by the pandemic, pandemic's economic fallout, and the, their jobs also have been almost twice more vulnerable to this crisis than the men's jobs. And now you have to figure out the childcare situation, depending right. on what the schools are doing. So this is not easy either. So how do you support that? And this is why you know, we are delighted that we are now able to offer this program as a digital program across Canada. So any yes. listeners in Vancouver, you're welcome to join as well. Our companies, we pick them carefully this year, our corporate partners. So there are job opportunities across Canada. This is not just a Toronto-based program. This is truly your opportunity everywhere in Canada so this is this is you know this is the silver lining if there is one that we can offer it digitally across and we are using all our networking skills in the online version as well to make sure women get the most personal attention that we can build in um, and so it's not a mass program it is truly a paying attention to every individual need kind of program I was really excited when I saw that it is digital because yes, to have it all, for people all across Canada, that just uh, yeah broadens such a you know potential number of participants from so many different areas. Now, beside your program, you have also started um, the back to work conferences and. Um, could you tell us a bit more about these conferences? Yeah, so um, so the Rotman Women Initiative hosted Canada's first back to work conference in 2019. So, mm -hmm. and when we had a second one uh, last year, sorry, earlier this year in 2020. So we only had two so far, but it's a Canadian first. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea is it builds, of course, on on the success and also on the demand for the back to work program. The idea is. Uh, this kind of one-day event allows us a bit to showcase the impact of the back-to-work program, but it also it's it's meant to be an opportunity for you know new potential women or candidates, but also new potential corporate partners to engage with us, so they can see it's a bit it's like a marketplace coming together for a day. So we provide great content on the day, but it's more. I would say it's probably more like an appetizer version rather than the main course, which is of course the full program, <laughs> but it's sort of the appetizer version. Um, but it also gives um, corporate sponsors an idea of what great talent there is available and is out there. So you know, it certainly helped us to establish a, a much better understanding, particularly with companies, um, that these returnship programs, as they are called, and in the U.S., they are much more widespread already, yes. that these returnship programs 
really can make a difference um, and that that we can create this marketplace so that you know, companies are always saying, but where do we find this, these women? Like, we don't know where to find them. Right. Like, well, that's why you have us. Um, so yeah. let us show you who's out there. And, and at these conferences, you know, when we have about 100 women who are interested in going back to work and we have you know, the companies who are showing up and, and meeting with these women, they are on the spot. You know, they're like, wow, these are amazing talents. Yeah. Like, yeah, told you so. Um, so it's a great way. It's a great way to just make sure the threshold is crossed, right? Because there are so many stereotypes and biases in plays about who's there and what, what, what is available and people have these preconceived notion. Luckily with these kind of conferences, you can break those walls down. This was in person, the conference, because it was um, prior to um, COVID. Do you think that going forward, uh, the conference might be digital as well? So we, we're talking about that. Um, we actually just came across a great um, networking software or platform that uh, we just piloted last week just to see how it works. Because mm -hmm. the power of the conference is, of course, in meeting each other and having the ability to have these brief conversations that are not quite committal, but it gives you an idea and, and, and allows you to test something out, right? And whether you like right. this company and so exactly what are you looking for? And exactly. hmm, does that work with me? Does that match what I'm thinking of? So, so it's these brief conversations. And how do you replicate that online is, it has been sort of our question. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we might have an answer. And so that is where we're currently at. As I said, we just piloted this new software we came across last week. We liked mm -hmm. it. Um, and so I think we might be able to build or replicate sort of this conference style interaction and networking with this particular software. So. Fingers crossed, if, if we can uh, make this work with larger numbers as well, then yes, we are planning to have a digital version of this conference as well. That sounds awesome. Now, one question I often have to um, people here in North America compared to Europe, flexible working, and we, had, we talked a little bit about it, seems to be still far less prevalent, especially the higher up you go in a corporate ladder. And like, especially something like job sharing is really pretty much unheard of, even though, for example, at the University of Toronto, um, Professor Frank Reed, um, he wrote, he co-wrote co an article in 1981 about work sharing and job sharing. But still, it, when I ask people here about job sharing, a lot of people have never heard about it. So, so why do you think flexible work of any form really here is still less prevalent than maybe, say, in Europe? This is a great question, Karen. So I, I started my work career in Switzerland where it is actually fairly easy to say, I want to work for a while 60% or 80% right. or whatever it might be. And that is quite acceptable, comes of course with your salary cut, but that's you know what you're willing to, to trade off. And job sharing is certainly much more common. Um, I have no good answer other than uh, I remember when I moved to Canada, I thought that the the workplace culture is actually still relatively conservative and, mm -hmm. and you know despite being such a tolerant society, right like we right. have you know, a lot of liberal and tolerant values. but funny enough, in the workplace culture, uh, the idea of um, your variety of work hours or the ability to share jobs is just not as common. It, it seems to be a, a concept that just hasn't entered the market uh, at all or very little. Um, you certainly can work part-time and some employers are quite graciously sort of uh, allowing that, but usually it's a right earned. Like it's, it's something right. you earn after you've worked for many years and you might have special circumstances that that might prevent you to be able to work full time. So you get that you're not 
not from the from the top or from the HR saying, okay, fine, in your case, we will make that exemption that you can work part time. Or it is truly more in the, you know, hourly jobs like the gig economy right. or the hourly exactly. jobs sure there it's not a problem there you can say i only gonna work you know x amount of hours a week and you only get paid but in the professional um and and sort of managerial ranks right. of most corporation um i have not come across true job sharing rules or the ability to say okay we've got to make this a 60 percent role and this one could be a 70 percent role and this one maybe just 40 because why not we can patchwork that together um I'm not sure that I know the answer. I think it might have something to also with the need to have a certain level of income in Canada that you yeah. might not be able to afford it. Not sure that I that that I have the right answer for you, but I I share your observation um, that it's just not very common. Yeah, and I mean to be honest, I'm I'm hoping that one of the sort of silver linings of COVID nineteen is that it's sort of a stepping stone that prior to it, so many companies were highly hesitant to allow um, work from home. And now it switched overnight more or less for so many positions. And so in a way that's a further flexible work. So my hope is by starting there that gradually we can see more, um, yeah, job sharing or top sharing, which in especially as you said switzerland is and in germany and england is, is so much more common and yeah yeah and you might be right maybe it has changed people's attitude that would be indeed a silver lining not that yeah. everybody is pretty much working from at home yeah. possible. um certainly if you if you have sort of a desk job or anything that requires computer work right you can do that might be a bit more challenging when you're in the construction industry but um you know there might be more openness to that that might truly be a, a wonderful change I mean, the the working from at home so has of course also it's it's downside if i might just segue mm -hmm. into that for one moment and that is it's it's fine if if you know and trust your team and if you have worked in a team for a certain period of time i think we can all make do with interacting via a screen or via phone calls and whatnot the challenge is and uh, i'm just thinking about all the new um, job hires, all the students who just graduated, who are trying to enter the job market now in September with a new mm -hmm. job, um, onboarding somebody into a new job, doing yeah. that online is actually quite challenging. Because if you think about it, when you go to a new organization, sure, you need to learn the skills that, that are required. And right. sure, you, you can learn what you know what what the the rules are but there's so much unwritten and mm -hmm. there's so much cultural nuances like right. can i send a calendar invite to somebody by just checking the calendar or do i have to ask them by email first whether it's okay if i book that time slot like it's these unwritten rules that that form a culture of an organization that will be really difficult for anybody to figure out when you are onboarded you know, remotely, right? If you're not there and you can't have these chats over the lunch table or whatever where you can get the informal information. Very challenging environment for anybody who's starting a new work, including for our back to work folks that are um, boarding a new role right now, trying to figure all these tiny differences out. So companies that have been smart about it have actually created a good buddy system. So where mm -hmm. they team you up with a, with a informal buddy, friend, mentor, um, mm -hmm. that can help you with all these little questions because it's really the tiny things that influence the culture so much and where you can go so wrong. Um, so that, uh, I think the environment again has to change to think about how do we help people that haven't had the pleasure of understanding how we work together and what our culture is how do we help them to understand that culture and how do we maintain a culture if we are all now online yeah it's uh, like sap in germany is always a company i love to um use as a best practice because for example they have done a like an online barbecue and mm -hmm. i think it was 
hundreds, if not like even more than a thousand people participating. And it was literally everybody had their um, um, steak ready, so to speak. And they had a, um, a package with, I think, some alcohol with it. And, and it really um, provided a, you know, a community across online. And they have had many other online activities like wine tasting and 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 other things to keep that um atmosphere and um, the the culture of the organization alive while everybody is working from fantastic home. yeah well, that's that's great attempts um that really is and there is so much more that can be done uh, and mm -hmm. we, we as i said we are discovering new things too for our programs like the back to work digital how do we right. make it interactive and engaging and how do we make sure people feel they are there together as a community and how do we create this community spirit and the culture so we have given it a lot of thought but it requires the extra effort right where, where it's so much easier when people come naturally together right. um, online you have to plan for it you have to think about activities that bring people together you have to allow for small groups to interact with each other so they truly can get to know each other um, you have to allow for one-on-one -on -one engagement so we have, we've, as I said, in our design, we've given it so much thought because yeah. we want to make this as, as you know, close to the real classroom or a real yeah. person experience as we can. Um, but it does require more effort for sure. Anyway, we're hoping that it will be as successful as our non-digital version, if not more successful, because as I said, finally, we can offer it across Canada, which yeah. is very exciting. Um, and we do want to help women to return back to the workforce. So hopefully they will take us up on the offer and have a look at the back to work digital program at the Rotman School. Um, we would certainly welcome any, anyone from across Canada who wants to participate. That sounds really awesome. Now, I could talk with you forever, Beatrix, but I know um, we're coming to the end of our show. Is there anything that we haven't touched at yet that you would like to tell our listeners? I think the only other comment I would like to make, because it is close to our heart, and we have been also diligently for many, many years now working with what in Canada is called BIPOC, like Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been working as part of our women initiative with what we call the Intercultural Skill Lab, and we have a particular sort of uh, support available for anybody who comes from a different background. Karen, you're an immigrant to Canada yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's even more challenging, I find, when you come into a country. And even after years, you're still trying to figure out exactly how this culture is working and yeah. why am I not promoted in my next career step. Um, yeah. So please do feel free to come and, and find us like the um, initiative for women in business at the Rotman school and particularly the intercultural skill lab offers support and programs also for people from different backgrounds. We welcome diversity and we, we welcome everybody from, from whatever background they are. So just wanted to point that last sentence out there, please. Thank you so much. Now, how can people or where can people find you? The easiest is to literally Google us. So if you Google Rotman, R-O-T-M-A-N, Rotman School of Management or Rotman or Women Initiative and Rotman, uh, you will find us. And uh, we, as I said, our programs are all available online. You can find all the details um, and we, we welcome, we honestly welcome every background um, and hopefully we can be there to support you in your next career move. Thank you so much, Beatrix, for being on the um, podcast today. It was so informative. Thank you. My pleasure, Karen. Thank you so much for inviting me and all the very best to you as well. We love women entrepreneurs like you. So hopefully this will be a great success for you, Karen. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media. 
so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.